our lives. And the last one I have on our list is the lament psalms. We call them the lament psalms. And what those are, it's the writer of the psalm. We call them the psalmist sometimes. Describing trouble or trial or pain that they're going through. And that's what we're going to look at tonight is one of the lament psalms. And I looked at the definition of lament online in Webster's Dictionary, and I, and I saw this. It says this. It says lament, and lament is an expression of sorrow. It's an expression of sorrow, especially a song or a poem that expresses sorrow for someone who has died or something that has gone. Let me read it again. A lament is an expression of sorrow especially a song or poem that expresses sorrow for someone who has died or something that is gone. When we talk about the idea of lamenting, it's expressing our sorrow for things that we have lost or pain or struggle that we have in our lives. That's what we're going to be looking at is Psalm 42 tonight. Before you guys open your Bibles, um, before you go there, I want, to, I want to do something a little different tonight. So I want to do three things tonight. The first thing, is I just, want to, I just want to take a few minutes here and I just want to share a little bit of my recent story with you. Just a little bit of the last 10 months of my life with you. I want to do that first, a little bit of my story. Secondly, we're going to take a look at Psalm 42 and work our way through that and see what we can learn from that. And then the last thing we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at a, a helpful next step that we can take the things that we're feeling and we can kind of do business with God with those things. So three things. I want to talk about my story a little bit. We're going to look at Psalm 42, and then we're going to look at a hyper-practical next step that we can look at. So first, I'm going to just start off with my story a little bit. So I'm just going to kind of reverse, rewind about 10 months back into my story, right? And I look at the, the month of August last year. So it was a little bit like this, actually. It was very warm. It was nice and sunny outside, right? It was the summertime. We're having a good time. It was back in August. And at that time, my wife and I, Jen, she's, she's amazing, my amazing wife and I, have been married for about eight years at that point, and we already had three kids. So some of you have heard, the, heard me say this before. We had three kids. We have, a, we have a daughter, Rebecca. We have a son, Levi. We have a son, Josiah, at that point. So it was back in August. And then on August 4th, our youngest daughter was born, and we named her Esther, right? So I don't know if any of you guys who've, who have children, who have been around children, you know just what an amazing thing that is to kind of bring new life into the world, and it can just kind of lift lift your spirits up and just be extremely happy, right? So that's kind of how things were going back in August for us. We had a fun family. You know, we just had our fourth child, happy marriage, jobs we liked, all that kind of stuff, right? So that's who we were about 10 months ago. And then all of a sudden, one night in early September, so my daughter Esther was born on August 4th, and then in early September, I was laying down, sleeping in my bed beside my wife, right? The baby was in the other room. The kids were all fast asleep. And my phone began to ring, right, in the middle of the night. If you guys ever had that happen before, you, it's like you don't know what's happening, right? You're tired. I thought my alarm was maybe going off or something like that. But I kept hearing it ringing, and I kept hearing it ringing. So I finally, it was just like the middle of the night. It was probably 2 or 3 in the morning, something like that. I finally roll over in my bed. And I, you know, my vision kind of comes clear, and I see that it's my dad calling, calling me at like 2 or 3 in the morning. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's probably not good if my dad's calling me at 2 or 3 in the morning, right? So I lean over, and I grab the phone, and I answer it. And I'll never forget the words that came out of my dad's mouth as soon as, as, soon as I said, hello? He said, it, he said it this way. He said, Caleb. He said it just like this. Caleb, I just want to let you know that your brother, your brother Kevin died in a car accident last night. 
He said, Caleb, I just want to let you know that your brother Kevin died in a car accident last night. And I remember those words like it was yesterday. And I just sat there for a minute, uh, stunned, and I think I just said, what? What happened? And then he told me again, and he kept, he kept telling me. So I talked to him for a minute, got a, got a couple details from him. He didn't know much at the time what had happened. And I said, okay, well, I'll be over to your house as soon as I can. And I, I hung up the phone, you know, thought about it for a second. Then I went back in, found my wife, woke her up, and I told her what happened. I told her that my brother was killed in a car accident, and that I was headed over to my dad's house. So I left our house. It was the middle of the night. Got a quick shower, got changed, drove to my dad's house. And I remember on the way there just, just like feeling shock and feeling overwhelmed and just not knowing what I was going to do and, and thinking about my dad and how he felt and thinking about my stepmom and how he felt, how she felt and all my sisters and brothers and how they felt and just remembering that there was nothing I was going to be able to do to take away their pain or erase that pain out of their life. So I show up to my dad's house. My dad's there. My stepmom's there. And then a little bit after I got there, my sister got there as well after she found out. And we're kind of just all sitting around the table. I remember we prayed and asked God to give us strength and, and all those things. And I just remember thinking and staring at each other and just realizing we were all in shock and, and really had no idea what to do. So we talked about it for a little bit, and my dad just desperately wanted to get to North Carolina where my brother lived, where he was killed in the car accident. He wanted to get there. So we talked about it for a little bit. And uh, myself and my dad and my stepmom and my sister, we all decided it would be best if, I, if we went there, if my dad and myself went there. So we got in the car very, very early that morning, got my dad's car, and we drove all the way to North Carolina. And I remember a little bit about the car ride, not too much, surprisingly, but I remember getting all kinds of phone calls of people telling us how sorry they were and all kinds of texts and calling people and, you know, kind of letting them know what happened and all those things. So we drove all the way to North Carolina. By the time we got there, after stopping and things like that, it was getting dark and we finally found uh, my brother's house. And we showed it to my brother's house. It was a house he had bought about six months prior to that. And none of us here in Ohio had even ever seen his house before. So we show up to his house. And uh, I remember, I remember playing his day. We pulled in. There was kind of a main street here. Pulled in off to the side, right in front of his garage. His garage door was open, and some of his friends were there. We got there. We talked to his friends for a little bit, kind of shared some stories with them. And then we began to get more and more details about what happened. We went to bed that night. And I remember the next day, my dad got a phone call uh, from the officer who was the first one on the scene after my brother was killed. And he's like, hey, he's like, my dad's name is Dave. He's like, hey, Dave, so sorry for your loss. I'd like, I'd like to meet with you and kind of tell you what happened. So that night at this little pancake shop or something like that, a little hole-in-the-wall restaurant out in North Carolina by all, the, by all the Marine Corps bases out there, I remember seeing me and my dad on this side and the officer on this side, and I remember him kind of explaining what had happened. And I remember looking at my dad's face and just, just, just seeing the pain in his eyes of losing his son, and just desperately wishing that I could do something to take that pain from him, but knowing, knowing that I couldn't. So as we sat there and the officer shared with us, we found out more details about what had happened. And what happened was my brother, um, in the middle of the night, for some reason, we don't really know why, came around a corner going about 90 miles an hour. 
came around the corner, lost control of his car, and then ended up uh, wrecking into a tree there. And it was just crazy to hear the details of what happened. And I remember the next day when we woke up, I remember my dad was there and my sister had come from Georgia. She didn't live too far away. And we actually visited the accident scene. And I remember seeing the skid marks that were just unbelievably long, where his car had skidded and spun out. And then I remember, I remember seeing the tree that his car collided with. And I remember seeing the glass, and even where the glass had penetrated the tree, and, and parts of the car were just everywhere. And just being so sad. And I just felt so bad for my dad, for everything that was happening. And then I remember me and my dad and my sister sitting there and going through my brother's things, which I'm sure many of you have done that before if you've ever lost somebody close. It's not a fun thing to do, right? Just going through his things, packing them up, and we actually went and got a U-Haul, packed all of his stuff up, and then we came back to Ohio. And then I remember after we got back to Ohio, I remember going to the funeral home still, and I remember seeing his body for the very first time and just how hard that was, and, and being there with my dad and my stepmom, and, and seeing how hard it was for them to go through that. And I remember that. And then I remember the funeral, and kind of saying our last goodbyes, right? And then after that happened, you know, we got about a week out from it, or a week and a half out from it, and it seemed like things started to get better, right? Because it's, it's just a little bit of distance, and you feel like you can, you feel like you're drowning kind of, but you can pop your head above water a little bit. And you can start to see straight again. And the fog starts to lift. And I remember talking to God. And I remember saying this to God. I remember saying, you know what, this is, this is really hard. But I, I trust you, God. And I believe that I can get through this with your help. I believe I can get through it. And then fast forward just about, just about three weeks. Things have been stabilizing for my brother passing away in a car accident. And then about three weeks later, in early October, once again, I was, I was sound asleep in my bed beside my wife, and my phone started ringing again in the middle of the night again. And this time when I heard it, I thought, oh, man, I don't even want to know what this is. You know? And then I woke up, I looked at my phone, and I saw it was my dad calling again. And I was like, I, I honestly, I did not want to answer it because I didn't hear, want to hear what he had to say. But I answered the phone, and then I remember my dad explaining to me that my nephew, Keith Edward, had passed away that night. Just three weeks after we lost, we lost my brother, my nephew, passed away suddenly. It was very sad. So I got up. It was like deja vu all over again. Got up, got ready, woke my wife up, gave her the bad news about what happened. And I drove over to my brother's house, the one that had just lost his son. And I remember giving him a hug and talking to him and talking to my sister-in-law, doing my best to comfort them, but feeling like nothing I was saying was helping. And I remember being there, and I remember, I remember sitting in my car with my brother that morning right after it happened, my brother Keith, who had just lost his son, Keith Edward. And I remember looking at him right in the eyes, and I said, Keith, I said, I know this is hard, but you can't quit. I said, you can't quit. You have to keep going. You have to keep moving forward. You have to keep trusting God. And I was saying that to my brother, but at the same time I was saying that, deep inside of me, 
All I felt like was quitting. Because I wanted to quit, but I'm looking at my brother saying, you can't quit, man. You can't quit. You need to keep moving forward. I wanted to quit, but I knew I couldn't. Because I knew God was there, and I knew God loved me, and I knew God was working despite the circumstances that we were going through. So we continued the process after my nephew died. Worked our way up to the funeral. We, we made our way through the funeral. It was very sad, very sad. And then once again, we started getting some distance from that, right? And things started to ease a little bit, and the pain was still there, but it started to ease. And we were trying to get back to normal life again. It's interesting how in a situation like that, you just want normal. That's all you desperately want, just please. I just want it to be normal. I want nothing to change, nothing new to happen. And then about five months after my nephew died, in the middle of March of this year, again, I was sleeping. It wasn't quite as late at night this time. It was a little bit earlier in the morning. My phone began to ring, to ring again. And this time it was my cousin calling to let me know that my other cousin, Jonathan, had passed away the night before. So in a span of not very long, right, I lost my brother in a car accident, and I lost my nephew. My brother was 34 years old when he died, and he had been in the Marine Corps for a good part of his life. My nephew, Keith Ever, was 20 when he passed away, just way too young. And then my cousin, Jonathan, was 35 when he passed away, and he had been in the Navy for much of his adult life. And I remember after my cousin died, I remember getting up, telling my wife again, and I remember looking at God and just saying, like, seriously? Seriously? Again? You know, haven't, haven't I had enough? Hasn't our family had enough? How much do you really expect us to go through? I'm not sure if I can handle this. I'm not sure if my family can handle this. And then I remember showing up to my aunt and uncle's house who had just lost their son. And I remember walking in their door and, and hugging them and telling them how sorry I was. And then I remember seeing my other cousin, Shelly, who had just lost her brother. And I just remember walking up and giving her a hug and just, just pouring out tears because I knew in some ways how she felt losing a brother. So again, I lost my brother, I lost my nephew, and then I lost my cousin. And guys, the reason I'm sharing this tonight, of course it's not to, it's not to compare stories or anything like that, right? Because I know that we all have experienced different pains in our life, right? Some of us may be experiencing now, some of us it may have been a long time ago. We all have experienced pain and loss and suffering. And we've all experienced different types of pain and loss and suffering. And all of us deal with those things different ways. But my hope tonight is that God would use my story a little bit to help you in whatever you've gone through or whatever you're going through now. It's really, really interesting to me how God uses our weakness to help other people. It's really interesting. God usually doesn't use us in our strength in a lot of times to help other people. He uses us in our weakness. And guys, for me, if I'm just being blunt and I'm being honest, I have felt extremely weak during this time, during this past 10 months. So my hope that this would help you a little bit. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm chapter 42. 
And this is one of these psalms of lament that we've been talking about. If you don't have a Bible, if you want, you can kind of pop up your hand and we'll get you a Bible from the back. So if you don't have one, just pop up your hand. But feel free to use your phones or iPads or the Bible you have. We're going to be looking at Psalm 42. And as I mentioned before, I love the psalms. And the reason I love the psalms so much is because they're just so easy to relate to. You can look at the psalmist and see what they're going to, and it's just extremely easy to relate to what's happening. Another thing I love about the book of Psalms is just I appreciate the honesty in the book of Psalms. When we read Psalms, there's no sugarcoating happening, right? They're not taking their bad circumstance and making them sound good, right? There's no sugarcoating. They're just, they're just kind of spilling their guts about what is happening. They don't sugarcoat. They're very real about the struggles that they're going through in life. As we look at Psalm 42, I just want you to do a couple things for me. When we read through it, I just want you to picture the mood of what's happening in Psalm 42. As you read the words, think about the mood. Think about the attitude of the psalmist. What is the attitude feeling? I, I guarantee this. I guarantee the psalmist who wrote 42 was not happy when he wrote it. I'm sure he wasn't thinking positive thoughts when he wrote this psalm. He was being honest and real about the pain he was going through. And a lot of times the psalms would have been put to music as well. I'm not sure if this one was, but if it was, I can just imagine that the music wouldn't have been light and happy and upbeat and poppy, right? The music for this psalm would have been dark and somber. But most of all, this psalm is very, very honest. So flip over in your Bibles to Psalm 42, and we'll start reading. Psalm 42, verse 1 says this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? So as the deer pants for streams of water, in a similar way that a deer in the desert, that's where the psalmist would have lived, is in the desert, in the hot desert. In the same way that a deer in the desert pants for streams of water or longs for streams of water or thirsts for streams of water for life and to live. In the same way that that deer wants that water to live and to move forward, it says in verse 2, my soul, the writer's soul, thirsts for God. He wants God. He wants to feel close to God. He wants to feel that intimacy once again. Listen to verse 3. Listen to what he says. My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? My tears have been my food. So he's so upset and he's so down and so depressed and so much turmoil is happening within him that he has no appetite. He's unable to eat. If we take that literally, he hasn't eaten. All he's had is the taste of his salty tears day and night. Verse 4. These things I remember, he's thinking back now, as I pour out my soul, as he pours out his soul to God. Listen to this. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. The psalmist is thinking back to when things were good and he felt like he was close to God and he was able to worship God and give his all to God. And for the psalmist, that's not happening right now. It's not as if he doesn't want to have that feeling. It's just not there because of what he's going through. Verse 5, he starts to talk to himself here. He says this, 
Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so down? Why are you so sad, he's saying? Why so disturbed within me? He's questioning himself. He's like, why can't you pick yourself up? Why can't you go on with life? Why are you so depressed? Why are you down? And then he says this in the second half of verse 5. He's talking to himself again. He says this, Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So even though he's down and the circumstances of life are beating him up, he's trying to will himself and encourage himself to keep hoping in God despite the circumstances. Verse 6, My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Listen to this in verse 7. Deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. Deep calls to deep, and the waves and the breakers have swept over. That's the idea that the, that the psalmist is in such a dark place. It's like being in the bottom of the ocean or being under a waterfall, and the waves just keep crashing down on him. And he can't get up, and he can't come up for air. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Verse 8. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. That's the psalmist saying, but God, even though all this is happening, I know you're still in control. I know you're still there for me. Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Do you hear that? He said, he said, God, why have you forgotten me? And again, it's not that the psalmist actually thinks that God has forgotten him, but that's how he feels. He's in the midst of these terrible circumstances, and he feels as if God has forgotten him, and God is no longer there, and God is no longer for him. That's how he, that's how he feels. He's just being honest. He's expressing his emotion. Listen to verse 10. Listen to how graphic this is. He says, My bones suffer mortal agony, as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? My bones suffer mortal agony. The pain is so deep within him, there's really no way to describe it. He's saying, I have pain within the deepest part of me that will not go away, that will not let up. My bones suffer mortal agony. And finally, verse 11, he writes this. He's questioning himself again. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? What is wrong with you, he's saying? Why so disturbed within me? He's questioning himself. Why can't you get up? Why can't you move on? And this is how he finishes the psalm. Listen to this. Again, he's talking to himself and willing himself forward. He says, put your hope in God. Put your hope in God, he's saying to himself. He's willing himself to do it. For I will yet praise you. I will praise you despite of what's happened to me. My Savior and my God. I love that psalm. It's been extremely helpful to me in this time to go through a time of struggle and then read a psalm and see the psalmist just bearing his soul and being honest with God. I love what he says. He says, hope in God. He's willing himself to keep hoping in God. And all of us, it doesn't matter who we are, we've either been through pain and trial and suffering and loss, we've either experienced that firsthand or we're going to. 
It's part of life. It's part of the human existence in the sinful, fallen world that we live in. But we see this example of the psalmist going through a tough time, but still willing himself to hope in God. There's three things I, I want us to kind of notice and take hold of from Psalm 42. Kind of three big ideas I want to share with you just for the next few minutes. The first one is this. The first one, and I just encourage you, you can write this down if you want, is to be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. If you've gone through pain or trials or suffering, if you're going through them now, we have to start with being honest with ourselves. And we saw that very clearly in that psalm. The psalmist is honest with himself about what's happening. He's not hiding from it. He's not sugarcoating it. So number one, be honest with yourself. The second one is to be honest with God. So be honest with yourself and be honest with God. We see that again. The psalmist actually says to God, where are you at, man? You know, I feel like you've forgotten me. I feel like you've left me. He's being very honest with God. And the third one, just like we saw the psalmist do, is to choose to hope in God despite the circumstances. So those three things. Be honest with yourself. It has to start there. Be honest with God and choose to hope in God. And we see the honesty, being honest with yourself. We see that so clearly in this psalm. Let me just remind us some of the things that we see. So first of all, we hear the psalmist saying, he's being honest with himself. He's like, I'm in a dry and thirsty time. I'm like a deer panting for streams of water. I'm in a dry and thirsty time in my relationship with God. I feel like there's no connection with God right now because of what I'm going through. He's being honest with them about that. He doesn't feel connected. He's desperate for that connection with God. But because of everything that's happening, it just doesn't feel the same as it used to. He also says this. He says, my tears have been my food. We talked about that. I've been so upset and so down and so depressed. I haven't even been able to enjoy food. And to be able to take that into my body, it's only been the taste of my tears. The tears have been my food. And guys, when I think about Psalm 42 and what the psalmist says, I can totally relate to what he's saying. I feel like I've been in a dry time. I've been in a thirsty time. Right? I, don't, I, I know that relationship with God is there. I know it and I believe it and I know God loves me. But when I'm being honest, it just doesn't feel the same right now because of things that have happened recently. I still trust God, but it doesn't feel the same. I don't feel connected in the same way that I have in the past, but I'm desperate for it. I want that connection, and I know he's there waiting. It just takes time to heal. That part about my tears have been my food. I'm sure many of you have been there before. I'm sure many of you have experienced those times when you can't even eat, you're so upset, and your tears are literally your food. One thing I've noticed during this time, too, and I think the psalmist may be hinting at this a little bit, is just how so hard it is to, like, experience joy in the midst of all kinds of loss. Even the little joys of life, right? Because what happens is we just experience loss, and we realize that it's risky to experience joy again, and to experience love again, and to experience deep, heartfelt relationships again. It's a scary thing because we're afraid we can lose that. And I feel like that. When I'm being honest, I feel like that. The little things many times are difficult to enjoy. 
I remember worshiping God. I remember those times of worship when I felt like my soul was intertwined with God's, right? And I wanted to raise my hands and give him worship. But when I'm being honest right now, it just doesn't feel the same right now. I know it will again, and I have that hope. But right now, it doesn't feel the same. He says, my soul is downcast. I, I feel that way. My soul is down. I hurt within the deepest parts of me. I'm experiencing deep sadness. If I'm honest, it's hard to get out of bed sometimes in the morning. Right? I'm sure many of you have felt that way. Many of you may feel that way right now. It's hard to get out of bed. I don't attack life the way I used to sometimes. It's a little more difficult to do that because of the recent circumstances, just like it was for the psalmist. The same thing. He says, deep calls to deep, and he talks about the waves and breakers coming over them. And when I read that, I immediately think of those three losses I had right in a row. Right? So it's like the first wave, my brother died, and I'm getting buried in the ocean, and it's like I can't breathe, and I can't come back up to the surface. Then I finally get back up to the surface, get a huge breath of air, and then another wave comes. My cousin, or my, my nephew dies, and it puts me back under again. And again, I'm trying to like scratch my way and kick my way back up to the surface. I get back up, I take another breath, and then another wave hits me when I find out about my cousin dying. And I totally relate with what the psalmist is going through here. And I'm sure many of you do as well. I read a, uh, I read a quote, I actually heard a quote uh, from, a, from a pretty popular actor the other day, and he, he had lost his brother when he was young. And he said this. It's really interesting. He wrote this about losing his brother. He said this. He says, I will never be carefree again. I will never be carefree again. I am 50% happy and 50% sad all the time. I will never be carefree again. I am half happy or 50% happy, happy and half sad all the time. Half of me is happy and half of me is sad. Because that fear of being happy again because we might lose again. And I relate to that big time and I'm sure many of you do. I feel like that. So you see, we have to be, we have to be honest with ourselves first. And we see the psalmist doing that. He's being very honest. He's not sugarcoating. He's not trying to hide it. He's telling the truth of how he feels, and we have to start there. And let me tell you this, too. I know, because I feel this way, that many of us, and probably especially those of us who are kind of raised in the church, we'll try, and, we'll try and shortcut this process. Instead of being honest with ourselves, honest with God, and then choosing to hope in God, we'll shortcut the process, and we'll go immediately from pain to like choosing to hope in God but we'll never process those feelings that we have. We'll never truly be honest with how we feel. We need to do that. We can't shortcut the process or we'll keep pushing them down and we'll never fully heal from it. So we have to be honest with ourselves. Next, we have to be honest with God. For some reason, there's this huge lie, I think in Christian circles and in a lot of churches, that we can't be honest with God. That for some reason, we can't share how we're truly feeling with God. But when we read the Psalms, and it is abundantly clear that the writers of the Psalms, the ones who wrote the Bible, wrote a major part of the Bible, are being honest with God about how they feel. They even say, God, where are you? 
So we need to be honest with God. There's, there's a lie that seems to be out there, but it's not true. We need to be honest with God. Kind of reminds me when, uh, when I think of my children and I think of my interactions with them. Some of the hardest interactions I have with my children is when they're mad at me or they're upset with me for some reason or I hurt their feelings and maybe I don't know it. And what tends to happen is they just get more distant from me, right? So they don't, they don't want to like talk to me for some reason. They don't want to be with me. And they're upset with me. And what happens is I, I kind of pick up on it and I find out they're upset with me. So I start asking them, like, hey, what's, you know, what's going on, buddy? Did, I, did Daddy do something to you? What, did I hurt your feelings? What happened? And they don't want to tell you and they don't want to tell you. And then all of a sudden, they kind of open up their hearts and they tell you. They tell you, you know, why they're upset with you or maybe something that you said that they kind of took out of context and were upset about. And what's interesting is when that happens with my children, the relationship automatically begins to heal. And they begin to heal from the pain they're going through. I think it's a very similar thing with us and God. We need to be honest with God. And what happens is when we experience pain many times, God's over here and we just begin to separate ourselves from God instead of leaning into that relationship. And when we're honest with God, it has this way of beginning to bring healing and strengthening our relationship with God. So number one is we have to be honest with ourselves. Number two, we have to be honest with God. Don't believe the lie. You can't do that. And the last one is we choose to keep hoping in God. We choose to keep hoping in God. So we make the choice to do it. We may not feel like doing it, but we decide to do it. It's an act of the will. We saw the psalmist doing it all the way through the psalm. He's expressing how he feels, but he's saying, but I'm choosing to hope in God. I'm choosing to continue to praise God. So we have to be honest with ourselves, be honest with God. And we have to choose to keep hoping in God because God loves us and God is there for us. As we close up our time tonight, I just want to I just want to kind of issue one little challenge to you guys. And you can write it down if you want. We got it up on the screen right now. And it's very simple. It's just it's this this. I want you to look at that Psalm 42. I'm kind of breaking down what the psalmist did. He did these three things that we've talked about over and over and over. And I would like you, if you're dealing with some sort of pain, maybe it's something that happened recently, maybe it's something that happened a long time ago, maybe it's a loss, maybe it's someone that hurt you, maybe it's a loss of a dream or a loss of a job, or maybe it's failed expectations, whatever it is, if you have something like that that you've never worked through with yourself, and work through with God, I would encourage you to do that. And you just follow this simple pattern right here. So you can just make it a prayer to God. I'd encourage you to write it down. So number one, just like we talked about, be honest with God or be honest with yourself. So whatever you've gone through, whatever trials you've experienced, be honest with yourself about it. Number two, be honest with God. He knows. He wants to hear it anyways. And number three, choose to keep hoping in God.